0: Just want to make a couple of announcements. The first announcement is that some of you who have purchased CDs in the back, some of them have been not recorded properly, and we've been having some problems with our recorder back there. So if you have a CD that's faulty, go ahead and bring it back, and we'll try and get you a new one, a replacement. Secondly, the second announcement is for the offerings. If you gave, us, gave your tithes and offerings here in the past year, and you want a receipt for your tax returns, go ahead and just drop a little note in the back, or you can fill out the little bottom left-hand corner on the side of the bulletin, and just drop it indicating, you know, put your name and your little indication that you want a receipt for the offerings, and drop it in the back of the offering box. And we'll get you a receipt promptly. With that, let's go ahead, and that's about it for the announcement, so let's go ahead and pray for our time today. Lord, we thank you, God, for... Just your goodness, Lord. And we want to thank you, God. We want to be in that attitude of gratitude, Lord. attitude of just waiting on you. And we thank you, God, for all that you've done for us. I know that in the midst of a busy week and all the the things that we've been through, Lord, it's easy to lose sight of you. But I just pray, Father, that you'd help us, Lord, as we are here in this time, waiting upon you. Looking, Lord, to you, to what you want to speak to us, Lord. I just pray that you would just meet us here and meet each of us, Lord, uh, where we need you. And I just pray, Father, that you would speak to us and may we just be open and receptive to you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Good morning. Please rise for the reading of God's word. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We are in Matthew... Chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Verse 11. But he, Jesus, said to them All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have, been ma- have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He was able to accept it. Let him accept it. Then little children were brought to him, and that he might put his hands on them and pray, but the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus says, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them. For as such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. Let's pray. Father, I just pray this morning that you'd give us all the hearts of small children, Lord. God, hearts that will just adore you and worship you, unashamed, Lord, of what the world thinks. Hearts that will follow you, uncorrupted by peer pressure the cares of the world, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes. and Lord God, I just pray that your heart uh, would just open up to our eyes and our minds and our souls this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Chapter 19 began with Jesus leaving Galilee. Galilee, which is located in northern Israel, and heading towards, uh, he's heading towards Jerusalem, and this was his final journey to Jerusalem, and the cross waited for him there. And he knew that. He knew the cross was waiting for him. This is very clear from the disciples. He told the disciples on the way that he was going to get killed when he was there. And you would think that knowing the cross was waiting for him, he would have dragged his feet or he would have gone half-heartedly or he would have been reluctant. But the uh, Gospel of Mark tells us in chapter 10 of, of Mark that he went resolutely. He, he was running ahead of his disciples, so much so they were amazed. And it says also that they were not only amazed, they feared They feared because they knew it was going to happen. But he had no fear. It says that he marched resolutely towards Jerusalem with conviction, with holy, zealous determination. Why? Because of you, because of me, because of the prize that came along with the cross, the prize of an everlasting relationship with you and me. Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, "...because of the joy..." that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. That is how much he loves you. He ran. He marched with just conviction to the cross because of the joy that was set before him. So at the beginning of chapter 19, he sets out on his final journey to Jerusalem. And on the way, he comes to the region near Jerusalem, beyond the Jordan. And where he was baptized, and it was there that the Pharisees came up to him and uh, said and asked them, Is it okay that we're divorced for just any reason? Can a man get a certificate of divorce for any reason? Sounds like a crazy question, but at the time, they had no-fault divorce. And not only that, they believed that the Bible taught that no-fault divorce was okay. In fact, I am told that at the time that it was not unusual for a man to have 10 or 12 divorces. And Jesus responds to them and uh, he told them, he says, what God joined together, let not man separate. And then he went on to say in uh, verse 9, he says, And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Now, as I made this point last week, I find it absolutely amazing that when we hear this statement of Jesus, again, whoever. Divorces, except in the case of, of adultery, uh, commits adultery. It, you know, we hear this kind of statement in this room, and we say, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But that look what the disciples say. They say, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it must be better not to marry. So these guys were no different than anyone else. They just thought that you should be able to divorce your wife for any reason. And this is a picture, by the way, of man and woman before the receiving of the Holy Spirit. The disciples, now they were, you know, throughout the Gospels, they say all kinds of strange stuff, and that's because they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. In First Corinthians chapter two, it says that the uh, spiritual things are only spiritually discerned, and without the Holy Spirit, there's no understanding. And you know, they hear this stuff, and we think it's normal. Yeah, of course, that makes a lot of sense. You know, you're not allowed to get a divorce unless your spouse has committed adultery. They say, "Well, you know, if that's the case, I shouldn't marry." That's because they hadn't; their spirit hadn't been quickened uh, by the Holy Spirit. And you know, when I read this, I just worship the Lord, and and I, I as I was studying this, and I was I was just saying, "Thank you, Lord, thank you for leaving the throne." Of and saving us, and just rescuing us, rescuing me from the bondage of of these kind of beliefs, these godless beliefs, these traditions that, that accumulate over time, which are just so destructive. Oh, where the world would be without Christ, where you and I would be. It's a frightening thought. You know, you look around today and, and, and you see the enormous price that society is paying for holding marriage in such low regard, uh, treating divorce as an entitlement. Meanwhile, children become the victims of man's pursuit of happiness, a woman's pursuit of happiness. And how thankful I am that Jesus provided a different way, a more glorious way. Yes, by his own words, a narrow way, but a way that leads to blessing and, and security. So, we talked last week about the high regard that God holds marriage. It says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. What God has joined together. God has made my, my marriage. He has made it to last and to be used by So we also talked last week about the abundant grace that is available if there's a divorce in your past. If you weren't here, by the way, we have CDs which uh, can be purchased, but the Bible says that God will redeem your life from the pain, from the guilt, from the destruction of divorce and will crown you with loving kindness and tender mercy. So the disciples, anyway, they, they declare in verse 10, Well, you know, if that's true, Jesus, it's better for us not to get married. And Jesus hears how, uh, what, the, what they say, and he tur- sort of turns their statement uh, back on them. And he says in verse 11, he says, Well, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. There are eunuchs who have been made have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. So eunuchs, eunuchs, men who had either voluntarily or by force castrated themselves. If you don't know what that means, I'm sure Pastor Scott would be happy to talk with you after church about it, but um, I won't get into more detail, uh, but... Uh, at the time, this was a very common practice, becoming a eunuch. In the pagan and the sort of, we'll call, say, barbaric cultures around, the, uh, around Israel, a very common practice. And kings used to hire them in order to be, to have really the highest, be the highest officials in the land. They also hired them to uh, guard their harems it was thought that they could be trusted. And so uh, I'm told that at one time, the Chinese government had 10,000 eunuchs. And it it got so out of control at some point because people viewed it as a a way of upward mobility, they they actually, eventually they outlawed it. And so, uh, but anyway, Old Testament law prohibits it. In fact, uh, a eunuch was considered uh, unclean as we went through the book of Leviticus on Sunday night and learned they weren't even allowed to go into temple worship. It was unclean. So we know here that Jesus is using the word eunuch. He's using it figuratively. He's using the word to represent a man or woman uh, who remains unmarried. But but not only that, not only do they, they don't re- remain unmarried so they can just sort of go out and live a like, life of sexual adventure. They... They remain unmarried, sexually chaste, so that they can serve the living God. And so Jesus here is, he's offering this as an as a honorable alternative. So here's what's going on. And so often the case, uh, Jesus takes one of the disciples' statements and turns it on its head. They say, for completely selfish reasons. Wow, you know, if I can only get a divorce, uh, you know, when my spouse commits adultery, I, I better not get married. Completely selfish reasons. Jesus turns their statement on their uh, head and says, uh, and says, well, you know something? That's interesting you say that. Because you know not all men can accept this, but some some are remaining unmarried they're making themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of God, in other words, there's an honorable alternative to marriage it's a life of sexual chastity, a life wholly dedicated to serving the lord now i I spent a good Portion of my message last week emphasizing this point Jesus didn't come to establish a code of law about anything. He himself said that. He didn't come to establish a code of law about divorce, he didn't come to establish a code of law about ministry. He's not establishing a law here that priests and pastors should remain unmarried. Again, the Bible says, John chapter 1, verse 17, the law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so, tragically, as so often is the case, an entire denomination, has taken this verse and created a law out of it prohibiting priests from being married. And as always the case, whenever man adds to God's word, it has had tragic consequences. Jesus is not establishing a law here. If he did, most of the apostles violated the law. If you're taking notes, uh, write down 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5, where you find that most of the apostles, in fact, maybe all of them other than the apostle Paul, took for themselves a wife. So, so you know, certainly the apostles didn't hear this, receive the Holy Spirit, and go out and violate it. What Jesus is saying here is that there's an honorable, and I would add a, a very exciting and challenging alternative to marriage, and that is a, a life uh, sexually chaste, remaining unmarried. In essence, God becomes your spouse. And, you know, the apostle Paul this message is really for another day, but he goes into great detail in First Corinthians 7 about the, the fact that, which really should be obvious, that uh, a wife and kids are an added responsibility, to put it mildly, in a man of God's wife or a woman's life. And that added responsibility... Uh, will affect the ability to be fruitful for the Lord. And so, uh, so, you know, Paul says, I wish that all of you were like me. But then he, you know, he goes on and, and, and upholds marriage as, a, as, as also being honorable and a, and a calling that, uh, that, that people have. But he, he says that it's a specific calling, a specific gift from God, chastity. My own brother Mark, my brother Mark, he's a missionary, uh, has this gift. And he has a tremendously fruitful ministry. The guy writes to us, he emails us every other day, and I'm not exaggerating, every other week. He's telling us of people he's led to Christ and baptized. Incredibly, and and, you know, my daughter Elise and I went over there to visit him, and he has this vast network of people he's discipling. He could never do it if he was married and had kids, never. And so this is a this is an honorable calling, but I will tell you this: God will not leave you wondering whether you have this gift. Uh, Or not. Uh, If you seek uh, the Lord in this matter, He will make it clear. And so if you're single and you're sitting in your seats terrified, oh no, what if I have this gift? Please, no, no. Let me tell you, that's probably you don't have the gift. God will give you the peace, okay? He'll give you that compulsion, that calling. So in any case, God will give you that joy. But listen, here. Jesus here is not trying to convince his disciples that they should be single, married, or whatever. He's trying to communicate to them what it means to follow him. He's saying to his disciples, following me, it's not about you. It's about me. Your marriage. It's not about you. It's about me. What I've joined together. You don't separate. Your single life. It's not about you. People who are single in the kingdom of God, they're made that way for, as it says, for heaven's sake, it says in verse 12. It's not about you. It's about me. It's about all about dying to you and living for me. That's what Jesus is saying. The good news is this, Matthew six thirty-three. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things, a blessed marriage, a blessed single life will be added unto you. So let's continue. Verse 13 says, Then little children were, were brought to him, that he might put his hands on them and pray, but the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of heaven and he laid his hands on them and departed from now, we spent quite a bit of time in chapter 18 talking about uh, the disciples' argument about which one of them would be the greatest. Uh, uh, they were arguing, you know, when Jesus establishes his kingdom, I'm going to be at his right hand. And they took their argument to Jesus, and rather than to rebuke them like you and I probably would, you know, what are you doing talking about this? Haven't you listened to anything I've said for the last three years? You know, he, that's what we would do, not Jesus. What did he do? He took a child into his arms. He says, you want to be great in the kingdom. Of God. You become like this child. And it, it, this child, the, the Greek word child, two to five years old, uh, what did he mean by that? A heart un, unhindered by shame. It's amazing what happens as you see little kids singing in front of the church, isn't it? The five year old sing with tremendous joy and excitement as soon as they get to be 10 or 11. They're like hiding their face, you know. And so unhindered by shame, loving, unhindered by the cares of the world, by the lusts of the flesh. You want to be great in the kingdom of God. Let your heart become a heart of a child. And then he goes on to say in verse 5 uh, of chapter 18, you want to become great in the kingdom of God. Receive little children like this. Don't push them away because the world doesn't value. them. Receive them. Minister them. So here we are only a chapter later. The disciples get a pop quiz to see if they learned what Jesus had taught them. Don't you just love those pop quizzes from God? He's faithful. That should be like a verse in the Bible. He's faithful to give those pop quizzes. <laughs> a bunch of little children, same Greek word uh, used here as in Matthew 18 are brought to Jesus and it says, even after Jesus has his hands on them, even after, these gut- Jesus has his hands on them praying and it says at that point, they rebuked the little children. Come on, don't bother Jesus. He's got hundreds of people. You've had your turn. I mean, he's got paralyzed people going after him, lame people, blind people. He's got synagogue rulers. He's got centurions. He's got he's got a busy life. Poor disciples. They're going to have to take this one again. This pop quiz you will be faithful to keep on giving us a pop quiz. By the way, not, not, we don't have to just pass it once. It's three or four times is what I've noticed. But um, how true it is. So here the disciples, though, they, they fail this. And, and, uh, but, you know, you always, uh, I, I do want to emphasize this. That, you know, when we see these little children, these small two- to five-year-old children, when we just picture in their mind, you know, they're, they're in Jesus' arms you also need to realize this, that, and I'm serious, I, I'm, I'm 100% <coughs> serious about this, you will always have a dysfunctional relationship with God. You'll ha- It'll be a dissatisfying one, an, an unfulfilling one, a frustrating relationship with God until you realize that you, if you have been born again by the Spirit of God, are one of these two- to five-year-old kids in Jesus' arms. And that's the way God views you. You are a child in the arms of God. You may not be good enough for anyone in the world. As the Psalms say, your father and mother may forsake you, but God loves you. You're His joy. The Psalms call you the apple of His eye, His treasured possession. You're in His arms. And every time you try to be something other than a small child with God, you're going to flop. A small child is completely dependent on his mother and father and likes it that way. Even secular psychological studies have concluded that small children, what, they may not act like it, but they love the boundaries that you give them. And every time you get the idea that you're old enough to venture out on your own rather than sticking with a complete, total ch- childlike awestruck dependence on God, you're venturing into a dangerous place. You know, I've had to pull my little kids out of pools, take them out from the middle of the street and all kinds of other things when they've ventured. They've thought they were old enough to venture on their own when they're three years old. We need to recognize we're no different in the spiritual realm. So continuing on, verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? In the book of Mark, it says that this man ran to Jesus and then fell at his feet and asking, crying out with this, this question. I mean, this guy really, really wants to know, what good thing do I have to do to have eternal life? I mean, this guy wants to know. Jesus says in verse 17, he says, he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. So here Jesus is trying to draw out of this man. This verse confuses a lot of people because we know that Jesus is God. The Bible is very clear about that, uh, taken as a whole. But actually, if you look at it uh, from the perspective of Jesus trying to draw out of this man, uh, what it appears that this man is beginning to understand that Jesus is God. And so he's saying, very interesting. You're calling me good. No one is good but God. And so if only God is good and you're calling me good, could it be that I am God? Jesus wants to bring this man to the place where he understands that he's God. This man is asking about eternal life. This man needs to understand he needs God. He needs Jesus for eternal life. So, it goes on, it says, He said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good uh, but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? What do I still lack? Don't miss that. Don't miss that little four-word question. What do I still lack? Where's that five? Here's a guy who has kept the whole law from his youth. He asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, obey the law. And he says, I've done that. And then notice Jesus doesn't even have to tell him. The man knows something is lacking. He knows something is missing. He's obeyed the whole law. He's been a righteous man. Jesus doesn't deny it. But he knows there's still an empty place in his heart. He knows there's still an unfulfilled longing in his soul. He knows there's something else. Listen, even the most righteous person on the face of the earth knows. The most moral person in the world apart from Christ knows something is desperately wrong. Something's wrong. They lack something. What do I lack? What is it? To, what do I still lack, he says. You know, in, in many ways... One of the most outstanding role models we have, not only in England but in the United States of America, is none other than our own, Tom Brady. He's not a braggart. I'm dead serious about this. You put this man's life next to most Christians, and he's a far better role model. He's not a bragger. He's humble. He's quick to give credit to others. He honors his parents. I don't know if you've read all about that. The man honors his parents. He's religious. He's not out getting drunk, getting into fights, uh, taking steroids, and drawing uh, attention to himself that so many other professional athletes have done. Uh, you know, not only is he one of the most outstanding examples of a righteous person, but also arguably he's the one of the, he is. Uh, probably, arguably the most successful person in the United States, the Super Bowl. It's a national phenomenon in our country. It's the most watched television program of the year. It, Super Bowl Sunday is like a national holiday. You know, by the way, we do have church next Sunday night. Uh, <laughs> You can probably get home by the second half, I can't promise. But a Super Bowl win defines success in America, and it represents what every American longs for and dreams for. And Tom Brady has got three of those rings on his hand. So here you have one of the most outstanding role models in the country and one of the most successful people in the country. Well, he was interviewed... Uh, by 60 Minutes, you may have seen uh, excerpts of this. And he said to the interviewer, he said, you know, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life, me. Me, I think. It's gotta be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this isn't what it's all cracked up to be. And then the interviewer asked him, Well, so what's the answer? And he said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. And we need to pray for him. Can you imagine how glorious it would be if Tom Brady gave his life to Christ. But he says here, he's got, he's got it all. He's, the most right, he's one of the most righteous, moral role models that our country has to offer. He's got, he's got the most success that can possibly be attained. And he's saying, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. What does the rich young ruler say in verse 20? I've done everything the world has required of me. What do I still lack? I don't know. What do I still lack? And verse 21 says, Jesus said to, says to him, and by the way, the Gospel of Mark says that after the rich young ruler says this, I've obeyed these all. What do I lack? It says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. See, Jesus loves the sinner. He loves the wayward, messed up, confused people that we are. He loves us. And it says, Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, Now, let's stop again. If you want to be perfect, Jesus said, make no mistake mistake about it, loud and clear throughout the scripture, the only people who will ever be given eternal life are perfect people. God is holy. Heaven's a perfect place. If anyone is allowed into heaven with even one sin on their record, heaven is no longer perfect. God's no longer holy. Jesus is saying, you want to be perfect. In other words, if you want eternal life, what does he say in verse 21? He says, go sell what you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. 1 John 5, 12 says this, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has his son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. When you invite Jesus Christ in your life, your sin is washed away. God no longer sees your sin. He sees the perfection of his son. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's why it's called good news. So Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, you must lay everything you cherish and hold dear at my feet and come and follow me. Now, once again, Jesus is not laying down a law here. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He's not laying down a law that every person who comes to Christ has to give everything they have to the poor. Zacchaeus was another rich man. Jesus called Zacchaeus to himself. Zacchaeus declared, I gave... Jesus, I gave half of everything, I'll give half of everything I own to the poor. And Jesus said, what did he say? He said, today salvation has come to this house. So he's not laying down a a rule here. But this man had an idol in his heart. And salvation will not come to a person's heart until he or she has given over to Jesus every idol in their life. The man was willing to follow all of God's law, but there was something in his heart he was not willing to part with, his money. In the parallel account in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says, Go sell what you have and give to the poor. Take up your cross and follow me. I like that because you can't take up your cross until you've let go of everything else. When someone comes forward to, to pray, to receive to Christ at this church, we pray with them and, and we ask them by faith to give over everything they have, everything to Jesus. That's eternal life. What does First John say? Eternal life is this, life in his Son. You can't take up the cross until you have let go everything else in your life. So Jesus tells this man, cast everything aside you have and come follow me. And we're told in the Bible that when we come to Christ, we're no longer our own. That we've been bought at a price. Jesus paid an awfully high price for us. The cross and everything that came with it. The scourgings, the mockings, the the wrath of God on him. we're no longer our own. We've been bought at a price. No longer may, may we choose our own ways, our own pleasures, our own career, our own dreams. No longer can we follow our whims, our own desires. Listen, Christ's desire for us is an infinitely better way. So Jesus says to the young ruler, the rich young ruler, he says, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And then it it says, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. You know, I read this and I... I'm amazed at the power, the grip of a man and a woman's desire to just hold on, to hold on to the control that they have of their own life, to hold on to those reins tightly, and not hand them over to God to keep their possessions, their dreams, uh, right inside their clenched tight fist, you know, where no one, not even God, can, can, can reach them. And here's a man who, it says, he ran to Jesus. He fell on his face before Jesus and he cried out, what do I need to do to give eternal life? But he still can't do it. He can't give up the control. Is it any wonder that Jesus says in verse 26 that salvation is impossible with man. Let's, let's read that. It's actually starting in verse 23. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly I say to you that it is as hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. It's the grace of God. Don't think that you're any more special because you decided to follow Jesus. It's the grace of God. It's the prompting of the Holy Spirit. It's a sovereign work of God who comes in literally his hand into your life and that grip, that grip that you have over all those things that you cherish, he a sovereign work of God just rips that grip away from your heart and and pours his love into your heart. The love of God is shed abroad into our hearts, the Bible says, through Jesus Christ. Now if you're sitting here this morning and you've never... You have never followed Jesus. Or if you're sitting here this morning and there are just certain things in your life which have a grip over you that you know in your heart you can't let go. I'd like you to, by faith, just come up after the service and settle that with prayer. The Bible says that if we approach the throne, God's throne, we can receive grace. We can receive the grace that we need to to let go. That's what the Bible says. That's why again, that's why it's called the good news. If you're in that place this morning, please. Please come up and we can settle that matter. But whatever, wherever you are in your walk, remember it's not about you. It's all about God. Walk in that word this week. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for... I thank you for your word, just the way it transforms us, the way it cuts to our heart, the way it just does surgery, Lord open-heart surgery on us every time we're in it. And Father, I just pray for the grace myself, Lord, to allow you to to, to do that work in my heart, Lord, so that I loosen the grip and allow you to do the full work in my life. I pray the same thing for every man and woman, boy and girl, Lord, this morning. Oh, God, what a wonderful thing it is to seek you first. Just all the things that have been added to us, Lord, we praise you for. We love you for. And, Lord God, we just continue to agree and declare as one body this morning, we love you and we do need you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, God bless you. And if anyone does need prayer, please come up.